0: It is one of the more dangerous words in the English language, expectations. Because we come with some idea in mind. We have some sort of understanding of the way things are going to be, or at least the way things ought to be. The problem is with expectations that sometimes... What we had in mind is not what we get. More often times, what life hands us is not what we expected. Thinking of a time in my life when I was let down of my expectations. My wife would probably tell you that's pretty much 24 hours a day. I have very high expectations of myself, of others around me. I do my best not to quite set the bar so high, but the very first time I can remember being, having my expectations ruined was when I was a boy. I was a school age, I'm not exactly sure what grade, I got off the school bus, I came home, flung open the door, and I remember very distinctly that there was the smell of baking in the house. No, not the smell of bacon, that'd be good too, but the smell of baking. And all of us men in here understand exactly that smell, the way that so quickly gets into our hearts. And it was just thick in the air. I knew I expected something good was coming. So I threw my book bag on the couch and I ran into the kitchen. And there in that kitchen was that old, small, white propane stove. I knew it was on, but there was nothing on the burners. So I I flipped on that little black switch and I, I pressed my face up against the warm glass and I looked inside to see what that brown light bulb would illuminate inside. And there within, my expectation was far beyond what I could ask or imagine for there within the bowels of the oven pie that single word it makes me giddy to just say even just saying it i mean it just there is no way that pie doesn't make a day better all of you just brightened up in this sermon when i mentioned pie well i was giddy ecstatic overwhelmed jubilant you you put the word in and that Was what I was. I knew that despite my homework, despite whatever was behind me, I could press on toward the goal because pie was coming. And sure enough, we, at dinner time, mom caught us all in. We gathered around the table, and there before me, she sat not the main course, but the thing that I had saw in the oven. The pie. I don't know what mental faculty in my mom had short circuited, but I didn't care. For some reason, my mom had decided to serve pie for dinner. Brilliant. She had rushed, she had skipped all, every level of the nutrition pyramid and gone all the way to the top, and to the top of my heart. Women, if you want to make things right, if you've done something wrong, if you need to repent, simply make a pie for dinner. Well, I don't know what had happened that day. I wasn't about to question it. And what kind of pie was it? I'm not sure. was it. Was it gooey cinnamon apples? Was it those tart red cherries? Was it those delicious Georgia peaches? You know, by looking at me, I'm not a man who discriminates when it comes to pie. Red and yellow, black and white. (laughs) There's not a pie that I don't like. That's why I love Joy Kingsley so much. (laughs) Oh, I grabbed my fork of eager expectation and anticipation of the goodness that lie within. And my fork broke into that flaky light brown crust of broken dreams and disappointment. You see, this was my first introduction to chicken pot pie. (laughs) Let me preach to you this morning. This, brothers and sisters, is an abomination. (laughs) The thing that spilled out on my fork did not look like gooey, delicate goodness for dessert. It looked something suspiciously nutritious. There was chicken and carrots and Peas and all sorts of sickening things stuffed into something like a Trojan horse (laughs) to make me believe that there was pie on the inside. Well, I ate that pie, but not because I liked it. You ever have those moments in life, those chicken pot pie moments Well, you sort of had one thing in mind, but you got something else instead. Life is like that. In fact, for people of faith, we oftentimes have these chicken pot pie moments. The moments where what we expected is not exactly what we got. If you're following your Bibles this morning, you want to turn to John chapter 9. That's where we're going to be based out of. John chapter 9 in verses 1 through 3. Now this is the beginning, the whole chapter of John chapter 9, is about a man in his life who got something that he didn't expect. A man who got something that his parents surely didn't expect. The scripture there says, As he went along, he came upon a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus replied, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, I'm not going to go through the entire story, it truly is amazing. The very Reader's Digest Convinced version is that Jesus healed this man and it caused great controversy for his parents, for the Pharisees, and for the community. Because healing a man born blind and making him to see was something that never, ever had happened before. It was unique. But I want to back up. I just want to focus on these three verses. In fact, I just want to really focus on the third verse. In fact, if you really want to get specific, I just want to focus on Jesus' answer this morning. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. We all have expectations in life. But what happens when we come to a this moment? That's my first point. But this happened. And I'm not talking about situations or circumstances that, yep, it was your fault, you did something stupid, you deserve the consequences. I'm talking about moments in life where it comes from nowhere, where you didn't see it coming. It was no fault of your own. Uh, You go into your boss expecting a promotion and you leave with a pink slip. You go in with a few questions for your uh, doctor, expecting a few answers from your doctor, and you only come out with more questions. About four years ago, Christy and I had a this moment. Now, though we were in it together, it was really her this moment. See, Tyler had, had been born, but she wasn't feeling right. She didn't know what was wrong, but she knew something wasn't right. And really smart people that we went to see didn't have any answers. We were at a this moment. You see, my wife didn't do anything to deserve that. There was something going on within her, and it was creating a this kind of moment. Now, when you come to this this moment, okay, and and all of us have them people in the world, people of faith, we all have them. Jesus said, Keep in mind, in this world, you will have trouble. So he he didn't ignore that fact. But what do you do when you have a this moment? Well, I was going to be a Christian, but this happened. I, I really meant well, but this came up. What do you do when you face a trial, a difficulty, an obstacle? Well, in every obstacle, you have a choice. You can choose to be overwhelmed by the obstacle. You can give up to despair and anger and bitterness and fear and anxiety. Let me tell you, Christy and I, there were points when we were there. Or you can choose to overcome the obstacle. You can rely on God. You can do what you think is right You can let that point, regardless of what happens, become a stepping stone of faith. Obstacles. It's weird. You would think, you would wonder why God would put an obstacle in your way. I don't know if you've ever done an obstacle course before. We have a few people here at Northside that just recently engaged in the Tough mutter. Now, there are many of you looking at me like, what is the Tough Mudder? You know, doesn't sound like that tough to get muddy. Um, Tough Mudder is this basically a giant obstacle course. And it's uh, like 12 miles or something in length. And and you go through this obstacle course. And I know this is going to be hard to believe. But these people, they pay money to do it. Like they have children and their children want to eat and they say, no, 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 you're not going to eat. I'm going to go through an obstacle course. It's a really difficult thing. I mean, I don't get it. I guess it just makes me love this country because I am going to if you want obstacles in your life, if you want some pain and difficulty, if you give me a couple hundred dollars, I'll set up something in the backyard. I mean, I'm not going to do anything, but, you know, I'll just have fun watching you. But they go through the tough mudder and they continually run into these obstacles, it's not just running around 12 miles. It's coming up to the thing like Mount Everest, OK, which is basically a vertical wall. <laughs> Watch him try to jump over the wall. And they do. They've run up. Well, the lady on the left isn't doing so hot, but <laughs> <laughs> they, they are continually faced with these obstacles, Why do people do that? Because we understand innately that when we are faced with an obstacle, we have then within the obstacle an opportunity. An opportunity to overcome. An opportunity to improve. An opportunity to grow stronger and better. And if you were one of the few who finished the tough mutter, congratulations to you. Where you learn the lesson that all of us must learn, although you don't have to do the obstacle course in this way. All of us have an obstacle course in our walk of faith. There are people in Scripture who walked this obstacle course. Uh, people like uh, Ruth. Ruth, who was a widow, was in a foreign country, and she went. And she was with Naomi and she had a husband and and a young family. Everything was great. And then her husband died. And she didn't expect that. She didn't see it coming. It was an obstacle. You see? She had a choice. In that moment, did she want to become overwhelmed by the this? Or did she look forward? But this happened so that... Did her this look forward to the that or Hosea, the prophet of God who is doing the work of God and his wife commits adultery and he has a choice in that moment. Does he get angry at God, get bitter at God, raise his fist to God? Does he shout out at God or does he instead see the obstacle as an opportunity? That's the question we face when we have an obstacle in life. And I'm talking about those things that just blindside you. The things you didn't see coming. The the bolt from the blue on a random Tuesday. The things that just happen can have purpose. But only if you choose. Only if you decide that you're going to let them. I don't know if you enjoy... Uh, or even know what these are on the screen, probably most of you do, are Legos. Legos are uh, really expensive toys. (laughs) But they're really cool because they're really simple. They are these building blocks that you put together, and they come in a package, right? And the package tells you, gives you all the pieces to design that thing that's in the package. And so my son has a lot of these Legos that he's played with through the years, and the same thing happens every time. He, he will get out the Legos, he'll pull out the instructions, he'll build the thing as it's supposed to be built. And he may do that once or twice or three times, but eventually the new wears off, and the Legos go back in the Lego box, which is this hodgepodge of Legos, and they're all from all different sets, from all different pictures, from all different stories, and the fun part of Legos is not building things according to the plan. My son loves to take the Lego box and pull it to the dining room table, sit down, and begin building things that weren't according to the plan. And I I walked into his room one day, and he had made like this humongous Jedi fighter sort of thing with a wingspan and lasers and he had put this little car inside of it and had bolted the car inside of it. it had a little cover protective shield over the pilot. It was just unbelievable. I said, son, what are you doing? Man, that is, that is unbelievable. He said, well, dad, I'm doing some re-engineering. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure where my son got the idea of re-engineering, but I like the concept because sometimes in life things don't go according to plan. For imagine just for a minute that you are the blind man's parents. You have great expectations of what this little child will be. And as all parents do, you go through that process as the baby grows inside and you begin to feel it move and and you know that there's something a new life that God is creating. And you you imagine all the things that you'll do. And you imagine all the ways in which you will raise this child. And then he's born. And he's not what you expected. And that meant parents had to adapt. They had to do things they didn't expect to be doing. Their son would not be like other children. He would be different. And maybe a parent would ask, why God? Why would you do this? What is the purpose of the obstacle? And Jesus reminds us, this happened so that the work of God. Let's focus on this second point. The work of God. I don't know when Jesus exactly came into contact with the blind man, but he has this miraculous moment this moment where the blind man wants to see, and Jesus says, go wash. And, and he's made this mud, and he's got it on his eyes. And, and so he goes to wash this mud off, and he can see. We just read that. Just, just read that. We just assume that. That's such an amazing thing. I mean, this was a young man. He was either a late teenager or maybe in his early to mid-20s he had never seen in his life for the first time he could see sunsets and stars he could see trees he could he could see his mother's face for the first time a blind man could see and we think man that is amazing wish god would do a miracle for me and i got to i got to back up here for just a second and say I'm not one of those theologians who does all sorts of theological pretzels to explain why God can't or why God won't or why God doesn't do miracles. I just don't like putting those words together. God can't, God doesn't, God won't. God sees that as a challenge, you know? But I will say, I've never seen one personally done in the... History of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. The actual number of miracles that God did is very small in compare uh, compared to the number of people of faith that there were. Why is that? Because I think that God more often than not this story being an exception works not just in the miraculous but he also works in the mundane God doesn't just work in the supernatural, He works in the natural. He doesn't just work in the miracle, He works in the providence. Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist there says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth their speech, night after night. They display knowledge. We can look up at the heavens, and though they're beautiful, they're not miraculous. But we still know that God works. See, God doesn't just wait for the miraculous. He works in the mundane. He's going to work tomorrow, if you'll let Him, on a Monday morning. God works in all of it. Don't just wait for this moment. Don't just wait for the miraculous. Allow God to work in your lives. You see... God has a history of working in people who are not necessarily super-abled people, superstars of faith, people who had rock star abilities, people who can impress you with their knowledge of the Bible or or they, they prayed 16 hours a day. No, God wants people who are willing more than He wants people who are able. My question is, are you willing? Are you willing to let Him work in, in your hands? To let His hands work in your hands? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Think for just a minute on the week looking back. Any good thing that you did, whether it was helping a stranger or calling your mother, or whether it was being nice to someone who was really sort of a jerk. Maybe it was letting somebody in in traffic. Maybe it was being nice to a neighbor. Whatever good you did, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, God planned in advance for you to do that. I know you might want to take credit for it, but God was working in you. His hands worked through your hands. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. He said, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. We do a lot of great things here at Northside. We've got a lot of good ministries going on, but it's not nor side's place to take credit for those. We are simply doing the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. It is God working within us. And that doesn't take a miracle. It doesn't take a superstar of faith. Sometimes it just takes a Miss Betty. Miss Betty is my neighbor. She reminds me a great deal of my grandmother. She just has that grandmother type to her. She's a shorter little lady. She's got a few wrinkles. She's got a a head full of beautiful, soft, cottony white hair. She has definitely weathered a few storms in her life. She has a husband, Reed, who's suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia. Now, to her credit, they have still continue to live by themselves, and Miss Betty is a very independent woman. I remember after Grace got home from the hospital, I was out mowing the lawn, and Miss Betty, you know, this sweet little old lady, runs out, and she's so excited. Is she here yet? Yes, yeah, she's here. Oh, and she runs back in the house, and she brings some things to, to bring over to the house. Miss Betty is not unlike your own grandmother. Now, Miss Betty's had some health problems, and so the other day, we, I took some of Christie's spice cake over to her home, and I chatted with her for a little bit, and asked how she was doing. She said, uh, "The heart's better, but I uh, had a little scare." I said, "Oh yeah, what happened?" She said, "Well, I I blacked out." I said, "Oh man, I hope, I hope you weren't, <laughs> I hope you weren't in a bad spot." She said, "Well, actually, pretty bad place. I was actually driving down Kellogg, and I blacked out, and read." Screamed, and I, I came to just enough to jerk the car over to the side of the road and put it in the park and call my children and get help. And it turned out it was just a viral infection. She said, I, Just a couple of days later, I, I was all good to go. And I'm just sitting there like you are, jaw hitting the ground. This woman is Superman. You know, you have to kill her with kryptonite. It just, she, it's just gonna, she's tough. I said, Miss Betty, attempting to impress her with a young minister's knowledge of God and God's ways. I said, Miss Betty, I can only imagine that God isn't done with you yet. And she gave me that look like a grandmother gives her sweet little grandson when he's talking, but he doesn't really know what he's talking about. And she said, oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, I know God still has work for me. She said, I've got to take care of Reed. And I was humbled by how God's hands worked through an 80 year old's hands to remind me of the power of a covenant. The covenant that she made to read all those years ago when she as a young bride said for better, for worse, in sickness, in health, till death do us part. That's the work of God. That's God working. We wait for a miracle, and God uses everyday moments. He uses our hands, and He uses people whose hands are willing. You know how many people my age look at their marriage and they go, you know, we just weren't in love. It just became too hard. We weren't the same people. We'd grown apart. It got tough. And Miss Betty would say, oh, come on now. You think my road isn't tough? You think it's not difficult? You do what's right. That's the work of God. You do what He wants, no matter what the cost. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in His life. The interesting thing about God working this miracle in the form of Christ is that He did the miracle, and that was cool. But what the impact of the miracle was is that the blind man shared what God had done in his life. Oh, that makes us nervous. We don't want to display the work of God in our life. We start to imagine people in suits, riding bicycles, going up and down the street, doing this hard pressure sales tactic, trying to convert people to our religion. No. That wasn't that wasn't at all what the blind man did. The blind man had a seven word testimony. He had a seven word story to share. Here's what it was. I was blind, but now I see. I want you to think for just a moment. Has God worked in your life? What has he done? Remember those this moments, those obstacles that you were almost overwhelmed by, but instead by His power, you overcame them. Can I ask you something? Just step on your toes a little bit. Have you shared that with anybody? Oh, I know there are a few religions that get almost obnoxious about sharing it, but sharing it should be a natural response when something happens, when you're faced with an obstacle That you cannot overcome. Do you share it? Now. When you share it. You begin to understand. This very simple promise. That God. Works within you. That your story. Is not. Yet. Finished. That you are the proverbial blank canvas. That God is painting this picture. He is not finished with you. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. But His greatest masterpiece is in you. I hate to portray God as Bob Ross. (laughs) Bob Ross is a weird guy. He's got that giant fro. He talks like this. We're going to paint some happy little trees. But Bob is an amazing artist. And if you ever watch Bob paint, you know that he starts with the blank canvas. And he keeps painting and painting. And he's talking like this the whole time. And just adding happy little trees and little streams and fun little flowers. And oh, look at this. And we're going to do this. And he keeps painting and painting. And at some point you get to the point where you go, that's amazing, Bob. Look at that picture! Stop! And Bob just keeps on painting because the happy little trees he just he going. He just keeps on going because here's the truth only the artist sees the big picture. And you come to this moment in your life and you go, God, what are you painting here? Or you come to that moment in your life and you say, oh, this is perfect. Stop painting God. And God just keeps on painting because you are his masterpiece. This one moment in your life is a thread in a tapestry that God is weaving. You are his work of art. You are not finished. He is not done with you. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or think. And I don't know where you are in your life, but God is still painting. He is not through. Now, the question then is, are you going to let that Testimony be shown in your life. Psalm chapter 139 says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. However many years ago old you are, plus nine months, God was working in your mother's womb. Psalmist says you were woven together. In the depths of the earth, taking a strand of DNA from your father and a strand of DNA from your mother, he began to weave the tapestry that is you. And he began to number the hairs on your head. He determined the color of your eyes. He carved out every ridge on your fingerprints. He cut The place where your eyelids open. He weaved you together. You are his masterpiece. Remember Christie's this moment? Part of that this moment was a doctor saying, we're going to recommend that you use a drug called cytoxin in a cold, sterile voice. Now there's some side effects, but we think it'll sort of... Cure whatever it is that you've got. Now, some of the side effects are small things. You, you might lose all your hair. You might become sterile. He kept on reading. I sort of stopped me. Wait a second. God, are you, are you saying that this is what it is? Cytoxin? Even the name sounds horrible. At least name it Psy Miraculous Healing. And what are you going to do in that moment? And years later, January 2010 perhaps, we found out against the advice of the doctors, we didn't take the cytoxin. We took a different medicine. We relied on the prayers and the partnership of all of you. And in January 2010, God gave us a gift. And we found out we were pregnant. And God was weaving a tapestry, continuing to work. Now, do you all think for a minute it's that moment in the mother's womb when God made you His masterpiece and then He laid you in your mother's arms or your father's arms and He just said, okay, that's it. I'm done. My work here is over. No, no, no. God is not through with you Yet. The question is, are you through with Him? Are you giving up when you face the obstacle? I remember two years ago, this last Friday, when Grace was born. What other name do you give to a daughter who's God's gift? And the doctors were holding her and I cut the umbilical cord and they cleaned her up. And they swaddled her real tight like a little baby burrito and they put her in the you know the baby reheater and so here i am my wife on this side christy's on this side and and here's little grace and they put her into this bed and she's all swaddled her little hands are kind of up above like help me <laughs> and i just bring my head down to hers and i said welcome We didn't expect you, but you are God's gift. And we beheld and remembered that God continues to work in our stories, just like he did in the blind man, just like he will continue to do in your life. So I want to leave you with an application, a three-letter application. John chapter 9, verse 25, the blind man said, I was blind, but now I see. So can you just remember the word see with me for a minute? The letter S stands for the word share, what God has done in your life. It's important that just like Miss Betty, you share what God did that moment on Kellogg. Because then I remembered the power of the covenant and I shared it with you. Psalm chapter 78 says, in part, we will tell our children and grandchildren the mighty works of God. One generation will tell your praiseworthy deeds to another. He goes on to say that the reason that Israel left God was because people forgot to tell the story. And I know each of you Have a story to share. There is no story. If you are here today by the grace of God. He has a story in you. And that story needs to be shared. And you need to share it with your family. And your co-workers and friends. If you're not comfortable with that. Come on Thursday nights to celebrate recovery. They have story after story after story of God. Working within our lives. These stories however. Mean nothing. If they are not shared, if they are not retold, not for our glory, but for his second, we need to examine what God is doing now. Listen, I am not unaware that in this audience and in this family, we are facing a lot of this moments, really serious, hard stuff, obstacles that could overwhelm us with fear and anger and bitter And perhaps even doubt. But we need to see those obstacles. We need to re-engineer them. And begin to examine them not as problems. But as stories that God's not finished writing. So examine what God is doing now. And finally, expect God to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or think. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 To him be all glory in the church in all generations and all the people who agree say let's not forget this happened that the work of God might be displayed in your life every obstacle is an opportunity every moment a chance to tell the message about a Messiah. So, what now? Well, if you're not a Christian this morning, I want to remind you that you need to do what Jesus told the blind man to do. Go wash. And not the removal of filth of the the body, but the removal of filth from the soul by being washed in the blood of the Lamb. And if you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, then you've been sanctified and justified. You are not what you were. You are who God is going to have you to be when He finishes your story, when He paints that picture. If you need to come to Christ, if you need to begin turning over your life to Christ, won't you come together as we stand and sing?